Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Prime Time on Money FM 89.3. I'm Rachel Kelly. Now, an increase in GST, property tax, carbon tax, and corporate tax, all highlighted in the budget 2022 statement. Benefits to help businesses cope with lingering COVID-19 pressures, as well as expand in the medium to long term. These were some of the measures announced on Friday. But what does budget 2022 mean for consumers and households? Well, to get her take on budget, we're joined on the line now by Dr. Gillian Coe, Deputy Director of the Institute of Policy Studies at NUS. Dr. Gillian, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome back. Thanks for inviting me. Happy to have this conversation. Always good to have you with us. So here on Primetime and on Money FM, we've covered in some depth the budget business measures. But from a household, a consumer perspective, a societal perspective, what are your thoughts on this year's budget speech? Very different from the budget statements that we've seen over the last two years, which have been extremely focused on tackling the issues of the pandemic. Yes, but I think there is now a retuning for a world where we are looking at climate change. So Mm. uh, costs will definitely have to be borne in terms of carbon emissions. So that will translate to costs to businesses and uh, some of that will then translate to rising costs for consumers. But everybody's sort of being made to feel the incentive uh, or rather the sort of stick to not supporting things that will cause the intensification of carbon emissions. So that's uh, going to hurt. But on top of that, I think uh, the government sort of given notice that it will raise the GST, mm-hmm. but what's new is to stagger it. And I suppose when you bring it all together, consumers and households will face a rise in cost of living. But you know what? I think the key thing is that, you know, there was already the setting aside of $6 billion through the assurance package to mitigate for the rising costs from GST. And we've seen that. So uh, now this is something to the order of $660 million through the assurance package that will go to households to help them cope with the rise in costs over uh, several years, five mm-hmm. years, ten years. And uh, then, you know, there is another package uh, $560 million uh, for household the household support, support mm-hmm. package. And I think what's important is that uh, most people kind of worry that the GST is something that's regressive because it's the same rate for uh, everyone regardless of what's your household income. But the most important point to uh, remember is that actually what happens is that lower household incomes get uh, support back through the permanent GST vouchers. Mm -hmm. And what was announced in this budget is to make permanent one element of it, which is the use-save voucher that covers rise in costs of uh, energy, utilities, you see. So there's quite a lot of uh, help, especially for those in the lower income groups uh, to, you know, sort of the P40 middle income. There's a little bit for uh, the further up you go, yeah. To balance out, to balance the budget. Just a quick question, though, Gillian. Do you think that given the current environment, GST could have been delayed further? I mean, but that said, we have spent a lot over the last two years when it comes to budget on tackling the COVID-19 crisis. We've really thrown everything at combating the pandemic. 
Well, I think the governance call, there's one part of it, which is the fiscal part, and don't think costs are coming down, but it's really an effort to see how we, uh, as a system, as an economic system, recalibrate to a new world when you want to tackle inequality, for instance, and make sure there's enough social support for the bottom. You want to tackle the demographic issue and make sure there's enough money uh, to sustainably meet rising healthcare costs. And the third piece is that there is sort of a recalibration to our carbon constrained world or what we should be facing, which is a more sustainable world. So all these costs are going up and add to it the uncertainty with Ukraine and uh, knock-on effects to energy costs, right? And all the supply disruption. So on that side, uh, you know, there, there is that need for the spending, although then on the other side, the costs are all going up too, just mm-hmm. on its own. So I think that uh, it's a call of the government to really signal what needs to be done and then, you know, not implement the GST this year, but clearly 1% rise next year and uh, another percent rise after. But, you know, as we mentioned just now, there is the package to soften the blow, so to speak. I think what might happen is that there will be another budget, of course, next year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the government can again see what mitigating measures are needed. But most importantly, we're halfway through or almost halfway through the policy cycle. So I think politically, you don't want to leave this to very late. And, you know, you know that you still have to raise uh, recurring revenue to meet uh, rising recurring expenditure. Uh, And then some camps will say, no, the government's not being responsible, not meeting, you know, uh, finding ways to kind of raise the revenue that it needs in order to meet expenditure, which is essentially social support you know, spending on education, spending on an aging society, which is what you have state revenues for in the first place. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, Gillian, so just looking at these measures we've got, as you as you said, the $560 million household support package, which will help Singaporean families manage the cost of living pressures by providing support for daily essentials through utility rebates, top-ups for children's education and vouchers they can use at Heartland Shops, as well as the earlier announced $6 $6 billion assurance package that's going to be topped up by $640 million and complemented by a beefed up permanent GST voucher scheme. So we've mentioned yeah. some of these measures to help buffer the blow of increasing costs. We also saw another another element and that was the new progressive wage credit scheme and the government's going to co-fund 50% of pay increases made this year and next year, 30% of pay increases in 2024 and 2025, and finally 15% the year after that. And, you know, while some businesses have commented on the overall cost increase that this may end up, you know, on their tab, but I mean, the move essentially is to uplift lower wage workers. And maybe it'd be interesting to hear your perspective. Why is this so critical post-pandemic? Well, it's critical all the time, but now there is an opportunity, especially since uh, we're at a different level of foreign workforce contribution Mm -hmm. or presence. There has been a tightening up. You don't want to bounce back again to previous levels or at least at this point where supply is tight. You have an opportunity to raise the price of labour and ensure that uh, those in the lower wage uh, segments do get higher wages. And I think it cuts to the point we were talking about because even with the rise of costs 
from exogenous factors that's supply disruptions, energy prices, without us even saying that we need GST to cover healthcare costs. Workers therefore need to earn um, more. And of course, there's the kind of inflation wage sort of spiral, but uh, you've got to still try and see the measure by which you can raise the wages of the low-wage workers and ensure that they have sustainable livelihoods. Bottom line is that people have to feel that there are opportunities to achieve that kind of, uh, you know, sustainable livelihood Mm -hmm. and more help given to those at the bottom, you know. And so you see that expansion of the progressive wage model to cover almost uh, more than 90% of low-wage workers, which is, you know, going to be quite a significant measure. And uh, not only that, but there's greater incentive to work. So with the expansion and the raising of workfare payouts, and actually saying to uh, low-income workers that, uh, you know, you're going to get even more from working than just the wage uh, because uh, government is providing this income support. So basically, it's trying to kind of uh, provide this sense of social solidarity, belief in work, hope in the future, And with these sort of, uh, with greater resources, hopefully, families within that segment see that uh, their lives do improve certainly for uh, themselves and their children, more importantly. Yeah. Gillian, is there anything else that you would have liked to have seen from this year's budget? Not really, except that we've been given the heads up that there will be a sort of a strategic plan to be issued from the healthcare uh, Mm -hmm. segment. So that's something to watch out for. And secondly, we haven't had the white paper to do with uh, gender equality and women's development. Mm. So I think that those who talk about caregiving, support in that uh, respect, uh, and also for family, marriage, parenthood, who who knows? Uh, We may have some announcements, who who knows, (laughs) by National Day, uh, you know. So I think uh, the retuning to the social system and social support ecosystem of Singapore is not really uh, done yet and we look forward to this new finance minister providing sort of uh, a more complete picture through those uh, two uh, big pieces of reforms that are expected. Wonderful. Well, Gillian, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and for sharing your insights and analysis on this year's budget. Take care, Rachel. Thank you. We've been speaking with Dr. Gillian Co, Deputy Director of the Institute of Policy Studies at NUS. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.